Good morning. Thank you for tuning in to Tuolumne Community Baptist Church podcast. This is week four of Crucified, Glorified, our series going through the book of Mark. We're having a wonderful time. I hope you'll consider coming out and being with us at church some Sunday. But I do realize there's a few of you that are quite some ways away listening, and I'm so glad that you are. Continue to tune in. The podcast will get started in just a few seconds. Thank you. So we're continuing on with Crucified, Glorified. This is week four. We're going to be in Mark chapter two. If you want to turn in your Bibles to Mark chapter two, or you can see it on the screen. Heavenly Father, I pray that you allow me to get out of the way. You can speak through my voice, use my body, heal my throat. In Jesus' name we pray. So Mark chapter 2, verse 1 says, A few days later, when Jesus again entered Capernaum, Capernaum, the people heard that he had come home. I want you to see that. You know, we read right through this, and sometimes we don't really pay a lot of attention. You realize that his home now is in Capernaum. We talked about the name, the meaning of that name, Capernaum, and it's the home of the comforter. So he'd come back home. He had been out on the ministry field. They gathered in such large, large numbers that there was no room left, not even outside the door. And he preached the word to them. Some men came bringing to him a paralyzed man carried by four of them. Since they could not get him in to Jesus because of the crowd, they made an opening in the roof above Jesus by digging through it, (laughs) then lowered the mat the man was lying on. When Jesus saw their faith, He said to the paralyzed man, Son, your sins are forgiven. Now tell me, what did the faith have to do with this man's sins? What did their faith have to do with it? Could it be that your life affects more than just your life? Could it be that our reactions and the things we do actually affect others? He saw their faith and said, your sins are forgiven you. And I believe there's a multitude of reasons why Jesus made this statement. But here's the main one in the very next verse. Some of the teachers of the law were sitting there, thinking to themselves, why does this fellow talk like that? I think this is the first time I've heard Jesus referred to as fellow. Why is this fellow, why does he talk like that? He's blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? Immediately, Jesus knew in his spirit that this is what they were thinking in their hearts. Jesus is so aggressive. He wins an imaginary argument with what they're thinking. That's just amazing to me. You can't fool him. You can fool me. 
but you can't fool him. He knows what you're thinking even right now. Aren't you glad I can't do that? What makes you so sure? So he said, why are you thinking these things? Which is easier to say to the paralyzed man? Your sins are forgiven? Or to say, get up and take your mat and walk. But I want you to know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. Oh, this is the reason why they're going to want to kill him. But he wanted them to know his authority. He said to the man, I tell you, get up, take your mat, and go home. And this young man got up, took his mat, and walked out in full view of all of them. This amazed everyone, and they praised God, saying, We have never seen anything like this. This was incredible, a miracle like none other in that time. Now, I'm going to base most of my message today on one verse, and that's verse 2. They are gathered in such large numbers that there is no room left, not even outside the door. Here's the title to this fourth installment. There's another door. There's another door. Fact is, in this little scripture, I'm going to try to show you if I can get through it this morning, there are four doors. Four doors that apply to each one of our lives. And we're going to see those. So let's lay a principle here, and we'll lay it on this narrative of this scripture. Life's biggest opportunities aren't always obvious. Man, you guys are quiet this morning. You guys, I'm here all by myself. Jim, you better start shouting. Somebody better start talking to me because, thank you. I need some help. Life's biggest opportunities aren't always obvious. I mean, after the fact, they may seem obvious. Does that ever seem like that to you? I mean, we don't see the hand of God working in our lives. We had, I had no idea I was going to be standing here as your pastor. I had none whatsoever. Now I look back and it seems so obvious. You could see God's hand and his movement through the whole thing. But at the time, it didn't seem obvious at all. This is scriptural. Life's greatest opportunities are sometimes hidden in the common everyday experiences. Think of Moses. God called him to deliver and lead an entire people group, a nation. Moses asked God to give him a sign. He pointed to something that was so common to Moses. I was going to bring my walking stick. I forgot. Looks like a Moses rod. His staff. He said, take your staff, throw it on the ground. You guys remember? And it turned into a a serpent. Later, it turned into a serpent and ate all the other guys' serpents. It was a sign that God was with him. But it was in something that was so ordinary to Moses. A staff used to protect his sheep. A staff that he used to support himself. God said, this is a sign that I'm going to give you. And he wrapped his calling in something common. God wrapped our salvation in diapers. Was born in a barn. Most of those, he came, missed him. 
Most of those he came for, they missed him because of life's greatest opportunities aren't always obvious. We expect God to show up, show up like Superman and to answer our, our questions and our problems. And what does he do? He gives us a mustard seed. A seed that doesn't look anything like the tree. It shares the same genetic code of the tree, but it doesn't look anything like the tree. So what am I trying to say to you? Say to you, maybe what God is trying to do in your life right now is not so obvious. But what but that does not mean that there's no opportunity. Even through our mistakes. Maybe it's your mistakes that is turning you around. You know, sometimes we go, man, I just don't know why I did such a foolish thing. Well, maybe it's, it's time to realize that, that God can use those mistakes too. I mean, think about Jonah, a prophet of God. He decided that he wasn't going to go do what God called him to do. So he runs off and he winds up in the belly of a fish. But God wound up using that, didn't he? The story doesn't end for Jonah the way we would like to see all stories end. But God uses things. Sometimes we'd have no idea why God chooses the way he chooses to do things. Remember King David's biggest mistake. He had an affair with Bathsheba. And out of that affair came a child, and a child later had died. Later he had another child that became David's greatest Wisdom, a man named Solomon, the Bible says, became the wisest man in all the world at that time. What I'm trying to say is David's greatest wisdom was born after his biggest mistake. God will use our mistakes. Most of our wisdom comes from foolish mistakes. It's not always obvious we're becoming wiser. Wisdom has a way of following our mistakes. Wisdom comes at the expense of today for tomorrow. Man, you guys are quiet. Somebody better wake up out there. That is a very profound statement that wisdom comes at the expense of today for tomorrow. I realize I do say this a lot, and it's important enough to say it again. Rewards dress in responsibility. Rewards dress in responsibility. You want to move up in your job? Then you have to be the best man. The best man doesn't manipulate things just to get the raise. Some people believe the Bible said God helps those who help themselves. Sorry, that's not the Bible. That was Abraham Lincoln. But I believe there's some truth there. If you don't like the direction in your life, maybe God is trying to get you to turn it around. Think about it. David, if he hadn't have been doing his job, taking bread to his brothers, the opportunity of kill, to kill Goliath would never have come. God used David's job. His job was to take the bread to his brothers who were on the battlefield. And he's standing there going, who is this uncircumcised giant? What are you guys doing letting him talk to you this way? Let me take care of him. 
He wasn't out there trying to show us that he was the greatest warrior. He was just doing his job, and the opportunity arose in that job. Life's greatest opportunities are not always obvious. Now, if this is true, then it gives a whole new meaning to John 11. This is where Jesus hears about Lazarus being sick, and he stayed there for a little while longer. Jesus was about to give those who were in Bethany a lesson on who he is, the resurrection and the life. But at the time, it seemed cruel to Mary and Martha because he didn't come to heal him. But imagine if he did. The whole point is he wanted to show that he was the resurrection and the life. It was a point that he was trying to make, and he had to allow Lazarus to die. Sometimes we want change in our lives. We've got to allow things to die. Sometimes they have to die in order to get things going the way God is trying to move our life direction. Thank you, brother. So getting back to our scripture, again, our biggest opportunities are not always obvious. Sometimes our greatest opportunities are hidden. Sometimes we must let something die in order to resurrect. So let's get back to here. We have these four boys. They're here with high hopes. You could say their hopes are through the roof. Come on, guys. You didn't get that. In this message, there are four doors, and and they're not obvious. Here's your first door, the door of disappointment. These men were met at the door of disappointment. Now, if they were like us, they might have said, obviously, this is not God's will today to heal our friend. Isn't that the way we are? If the opportunity just doesn't seem to arise for us, we go, well, I guess it just wasn't God's will today to heal our friend. But these guys, these boys, these boys, they're met at the door of disappointment. I'm going to give them names. Bubba says to Tommy, hey, maybe there's another way. Rufus said, what did Bubba say? Jimmy said, there might be another way. What do you mean another way? What do you mean the door is completely blocked? There's people out the door. He said, we got to go up. We got to go up. They decide to go up on the roof. Faith in this book of Mark is always a response to something you cannot see. Jesus saw their faith, and they weren't, they weren't going to carry him back home. We carried your heavy self all the way here. We're getting you in to see Jesus. Maybe we put a little bit of effort in who we're carrying to get to church. We put a little more effort that they get it. These boys were not going to let Jesus get away. (laughs) These boys are great. I want you to see how Matthew saw it. Matthew 9, 2 says, Some men brought to him a paralyzed man 
lying on a mat. When Jesus saw their faith, he said to them, Take heart, son, your sins are forgiven you. He didn't say anything about the roof. Did you notice that? You see, there's a reason I believe for that. Scholars tell us that this house was actually Simon Peter's house. Matthew saw the miracle. Peter saw the roof, the hole that they put in his roof. I mean, there was a big difference between perspectives here because Peter's got to figure out how I'm going to fix that roof now. So they get up there on this roof and they cut a hole. Here we are, Rufus, Bubba, Tommy, and Jimmy. And they're looking down. They, they had lowered him down. And Jesus said, Son, your sins are forgiven you. Can you just see them? They're looking down in there. And Bubba says, What did he say? And Tommy says, He said something about sin. Well, did he say anything about his legs? And Jimmy over here said, No, he just talked about his sins. But then Tommy said, do you think he can heal his legs? Nothing was said about what was going on upstairs. These boys are looking down through this roof, and Jesus says the most bizarre thing in the world, Son, your sins are forgiven you. They did not bring the man to Jesus to get his sins forgiven. They brought the man to Jesus to get him healed. What are you going to do when God bypasses what you're praying for to give you what you really need? Amen. That's pretty profound. Sometimes we're praying for something that, that God is saying, no, I know what you're praying for, and I got some sympathy for what you're praying for, but what you really need is you need your soul changed. And that's what Jesus was saying to this young man is your sins are forgiven you. Your life needs to change. Your attitudes, your thoughts, everything about you. Some people say, well, you know, it was probably because of his sin that he was laying in this condition. You know, G Jesus took care of that in the book of John. Remember the blind man? What sin did this man commit? What sins did his parents commit? And I'm not saying that sin doesn't affect health because we know that it does. But not in all cases can we automatically judge because this guy has an issue and he can't walk, he's got to be living in sin. That's not what was trying to be said here. Jesus was taking care of something inside of him before he were to get up and walk. It's obvious that he needs healing. But Jesus wanted to do a work in him. So here's a question. If, I was, if we were in a youth group this morning, I would say, who are you for? Who are you for? Who in your life are leading you to God? Or are they leading you away? Who are you hanging out with? This is very impressive. These men brought this man to Jesus to get healed. And they were sitting, the young man who's down there on the floor now is sitting in a bunch of turmoil because these scribes and Pharisees that were there, they didn't want the man healed. 
They're upset that Jesus said what he said. Who does he think he is saying that he can forgive sins? The last thing they want this guy to do is get up and walk. There was some great opposition going on in this room. There was some tension. Let me tell you, there was some tension in that room. But Jesus, that brings us to our next door, the door of opposition. Has anyone ever criticized you for coming to church? Thank you. Or for making decisions that do not line up with what they want to do? We can find opposition all around us. I've had people say, well, you guys are just Christians because you're weak. You have to have something to rely on. No, not hardly. But that's okay. There was some opposition going on here. And I'm sure that that young man on the mat, we'll call him Matt. I'm sure that Matt here, you know, he didn't know what was going on. My sins are forgiven me. Okay, he's thinking, man, I wonder, I wonder what I got to do. My, my sins are forgiven. Hey, guys, my sins are forgiven. I'm not sure. I'm not sure what that means. But Jesus had a plan. He definitely had a plan. The third door is obedience. What the four men did not, what the four men, the critics, what the four men did, I got all confused in my writing there, what the four men did got his sins forgiven. Their faith, cutting open a hole in the roof. Jesus is looking at this whole situation, man. I like these guys. I did exactly what you guys have done, is I came down from heaven through the dirt, through the sin, for you. I really like these guys. And I'm sure that's what Jesus was feeling about him too. But there was opposition going on in the room. So what these four guys did had gotten him forgiven, but the critics got him healed. There's something more that the man had to do. Let's go back to Mark chapter 2, verses 11 and 12. It says, this is what Jesus said to the young man. I tell you, get up, take your mat, and go home. He got up, took his mat, and walked out in full view of them all. The critics, believe me, I'm sure this young man could not wait to get out of that room. I mean, he's got legs. He can now dance. He can go out with his friends. He can do all sorts of things he couldn't do before. His life was miserable. And there was nothing in that room but critics. Who does this man say he is that can forgive sins? The same man that can heal the man's legs. Amen. To get up and walk. He had to have obedience to get up and walk. And how many of us are still laying in our mat that we don't want to let go of? We don't want to let go of and, and just walk in the healing that God has already provided for us. 
Maybe we're scared. Maybe it's something we just don't want to let go of. But there's obedience involved here. If you will get up, you can get up. If you will get up, you can get up. That's exactly what Jesus was saying to this man. You can get up. Just get up and take your bed and walk. Door number four, the door of revelation. You're the door. People need to see Jesus through your life. It took revelation power to make the changes in me. I was hopeless. I was lost. Now I'm a door because of what Jesus said to me, and he said it in John 9. He said, I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. That's what he did for me. That's what he did for me. I had to find him, and I had to go, and now I've become that door because I've led so many to the door, which is Jesus Christ. I was talking to a friend, and he was in the program, and he's become a really good friend. And he's a firefighter, and I don't see him very often. But every month or so, I'll text him, and he'll text me back. He was asking me how the church was going. I said, it's fantastic. I, I, I sense a movement of the Holy Spirit here, and there's people that are starting to show up, and I'm, I'm really excited about what's God doing. I'm, I'm really looking forward to possibly this next year being able to retire from the county job to just focus 100% on the church. He typed back, he said, Pastor, please be very careful with letting go of that county job because I know what it meant to me to meet you out there. And he said, I know that he's been, you're ministering to a lot of men and women in that job that God has placed you in. And I know that you want to leave it because you want to devote all your attention to the church, but please take caution before you just quit. Because it is a ministry opportunity, and we need to see our lives as such. There are people in your lives that I will never see, that I will never get to know. And it's your job to minister to them, for you to be the door, the revelation that they see the work that God has done in you. He said, I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved. So here's your four doors. Go to the next slide. Sometimes it's disappointment. <clears throat> Oftentimes there's opposition. Opposition to what we believe. Obedience. There's always going to be obedience in our life. And when revelation comes is when everybody else can begin to see what God is doing in you. That's a revelation difference. And I've got 25 minutes to go, and I'm fading fast here. Will you guys forgive me if I let you go early? You will, because my throat is killing me. Sean, would you come up?
Well, that says here that I've gone 27.39 minutes. That's pretty close. 